0: I wanna thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, We would also love to connect with you. If you would like to to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you if you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at fellowship Bible church uh, we would greatly appreciate that uh, we have worked hard to improve our, our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance so uh, if you would if you would like to support the ministry here you can text give to the same number 903. 903- five eight six six five two zero we would greatly appreciate your support and again thank you for listening in you ever set set out to accomplish something and things didn't work out the way you planned never happened to you have your mind set to accomplish this certain thing and circumstances maybe outside of your control keep you from accomplishing your goal. Believe it or not, there are many in our world today who believe that's what happened with Jesus. There are some who view Jesus in this way as this great revolutionary leader who opposed the the cold, heartless, unloving, bigoted, established system of the day, and as a result of that was martyred for his cause. They say that while his impact has been undeniable because of what he stood for and who he stood against, he was killed. He wasn't expecting that, but that's what happened. Believers, nothing could be further from the truth biblically. We learn in God's Word that Christ was not surprised by his death in the least bit. We are told by him his disciples were told by him. His enemies were told by him that he was going to suffer and die and, and that it was necessary for him to do so. He said, that's the reason I've come. There are so many places I could take you to show you this, but let's just stay in the Gospel of Luke, okay? Luke 9, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Pretty clear, right? Luke nine forty three and 44, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men in luke eighteen 31, we're told in taking the 12 he said to them see we are going up to jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging him they will kill him and on the third day he will rise very specific right Jesus knew that his death was more than a possibility. He knew he was going to die with absolute certainty. He says here, I'm going to be delivered over to the Jewish religious leaders, condemned, handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock me. They will spit on me. They will flog me. And then they will kill me. And then three days later, I'm going to rise. He said it. He knew how it was going to go down when it was going to go down, the way in which it was going to go down, and why it had to go down the way that it went down. Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the reason he came. He came to die in order to save the lost. And in Luke chapter 20, Jesus reveals this once again by the telling of a parable. Now, there are a few things you need to know about this parable before we get into it. Really focus in this morning, okay? This is one of the more challenging parables to follow. It's lengthier, it's more detailed, so really focus this morning on on, on what we're talking about here, okay? But a few things you need to know about this parable before we study it. One, why does Jesus tell this parable? That's always an important question to answer. Why does Jesus tell it? we've We've already talked at length about the fact that when we study the parables... It's important to understand the context surrounding the parable and answer the question of who Jesus' audience is and what happened or what was said or what was asked that prompted Jesus to tell the parable he tells. If you can answer those questions, you'll be well on your way to understanding the point Of the parable and we learn that here in Luke chapter 20 verses 1 through 8 look at it with me I'll read it for us Luke 20 1 through 8 one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him tell us by what authority do you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority he answered them I will also ask you a question Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all these people will stone us to death because they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you, by what authority I do these things. So we we learn in the first 8 verses of Luke 20 that Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. He's been there throughout the week teaching each day. It's holy week. It's it's The few days before he is going to lay his life down at Calvary, he began this week teaching in the temple. Here in the first part of Luke 20, we learn that in Jesus' audience are the religious leaders, chief priests and scribes with the elders. This is after his royal entry, after his words of judgment that he directs toward this Jewish nation. This is after he has cleansed the temple for a second time time, and he's driven out, and he has condemned the Jewish religious leaders, okay? We learn at the, the end of Luke 19, they are wanting him dead, the religious leaders are, but, but are fearful to arrest him because he's a very gifted and popular teacher. Many Jewish people are in for Passover, they're in from all around, they're gathering in the temple to hear from Jesus each and every day, so they're scared to do anything at this time. Luke 19, 47 through 48... Flip back, look at that. The chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. That's what they wanted. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. So what they do instead, they can't grab him right then. So what they do is they just kind of weasel their way into the crowd and, and they, they, they move in, in and amongst the people who are there listening to Jesus and they try and stump him with certain questions in hopes of discrediting him with difficult questions and they throw this question out at Jesus they say by what authority do you do the things you do who gave you this authority driving out those for example who were who are buying and selling in the temple and turning over the table of the money changers by what authority are you doing that By what authority are you condemning religious leaders and teaching in and around the temple? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus says he often did. He answers their question with a question. He says, I'll tell you by what authority I do what I do. If you will tell me by what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? He basically says, was John's calling from God? Was his baptism from heaven or from man? Jesus here, notice, he's aligning himself with the ministry of John the Baptist who also operated outside their religious umbrella, right? John was on the outs with them. So he's asking them if they believe that John's calling is legitimate. Is it a divine calling? And they're faced with the big dilemma because if they say that it is, they've got a problem because they're clearly opposed to John the Baptist and are therefore opposed to God. And if they say that his calling was not from God, they're going to have a big problem on their hand with the crowd because many in the crowd believe John to be a prophet. So instead of answering one way or another, they play dumb. We don't know. In Luke 20, Jesus provides an answer for them about himself. At first he says, then neither I'll, I won't tell you either, right? But he does answer it in the parable. In this parable, Jesus reveals their evil motives, the religious leaders' evil motives. He reveals what side they are on and who he truly is. Jesus, with this parable, is going to show the religious leaders who they are, where they land, and who he is and where he lands. Very unique parable. It's an exception to a lot of the parables Jesus told in that The majority of parables are these simple, short stories with one main point that do not possess allegorical meaning. You've got to be careful not to over-allegorize the the parables because you'll end up with with an explanation of the parable that's nowhere remotely close to what Jesus had in mind. But with this parable, it's an exception in that it reads more like an allegory. It's it's longer, it reads more like an allegory. In this story, now Follow me here. You can take notes as you go. The landowner is clearly God, okay? The landowner is clearly God. The vineyard is Israel. The tenant farmers are the religious leaders who have been appointed to tend to God's vineyard, God's people. That's what God's vineyard is, his people. The slaves are the servants that the owner sends. Those are God's prophets that he has sent over the years and of course the landowner's son is who Jesus right Sunday school answer Jesus yes Doesn't always work it works there knowing that'll help you with this parable okay this parable breaks down nicely into three parts you have the religious leaders opposition of God's son then you have their judgment from God's Word and their rejection of God's message, okay? So that's your, your outline. First notice, their opposition of God's son. Remember, they're questioning Jesus' credentials, accusing him of standing against the purposes of God. And so Jesus here with this parable, he shows them that they're the ones who are standing in opposition of God because they have rejected the one that God has sent, his only son. Look at verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. And he let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Stop there for a minute. Now, we need a little explanation here, but they didn't. They were an agrarian society. And at this time, there were wealthy landowners who would farm out their land to what were called tenant... Farmers and these tenant farmers would work these owners' fields, okay? And they would be given a percentage of the proceeds and would give a good portion back of the proceeds to the landowner. The landowner would send in servants to go collect his portion there, okay? and they would take it to the owner who might live in a neighboring city or a major metropolitan area. This was very, very common practice. Hel- happened all the time, okay? Tenant farmers were managers of the field. They were not owners. Remember that. They're managers. They're not owners. Owners would send their servants to collect a certain portion of the produce that have been agreed upon by the owner and the tenant farmers they might bring that produce back to the owner or they would sell it and bring the money back to him and that is what the owner is hoping will happen in this story that's what he's expecting but what happens is shocking all right in fact both the actions of the tenant farmer and the actions of the owners the, the owner here the tenant farmers and the owner both actions are meant to shock those listening. Look at it. Verses 10 through 12. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Verse 11. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. This one, also they wounded and cast out two things here that are are very shocking one is the the wickedness of the tenant farmers okay that's the first thing that's shocking the the wickedness of the tenant farmers and the second thing that's shocking is how patient and merciful and kind and loving the owner is to them Okay? Both those things would have been shocking. You see, normally it was the other way around. You had the, the, the tenant farmers, they kept their word. They worked hard, did their job, and and gave what they were supposed to give to the servants of the landowner. And it was the landowners that often abused their power and did not treat the tenant farmers very well. So the actions on both sides are shocking. Be honest. When you're reading this parable, you don't even need a lot of that, that contextual background to know that, right? I mean, it's pretty shocking when you, when you, when you see this happening. Don't you just want to tell the, the, the landowner in this story, stop. Don't send any more servants. They've already beaten three of them and run them off. What are you doing? You need to, to give them a lesson. You're the owner. Give them what they deserve. Eye for an eye, Right? That's how any landowner at this time in this day would have responded. That's the point. That's what Jesus wants his audience to feel so that he can then highlight for them God's patience, his mercy, and his love. Well, Jesus is not finished. Look at verses 13 through 15. We see that the owner then does something even more shocking than simply send his servants. Look at it. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. The owner sends his son, the heir, to the vineyard. We see here that the the tenant farmers have completely lost sight of who they truly are and what they were called and appointed to do. Instead of submitting to the will of the owner, they were taking matters into their own hands and and treating the vineyard as if it was their own. They, They thought if we kill the son, we'll be heirs. Now why on earth would they have thought that? Some people have tried to say, well, maybe they thought the the father was dead and so the son is coming and if they kill him, they'll be... Well, listen, this is a parable, okay? Those details are not included. This is a story, so we got to deal with what we have. Here's the main point that, that Jesus wants us to see here in telling this parable. The point is they had completely lost sight of the owner altogether. They were viewing themselves in a way they were never meant to view themselves. They were standing in the place of the owner as if they were the heirs. When they were meant to be managers. Jesus is telling this parable, show the religious leaders this. Same is true of you. They too were acting as if they were the ones in charge, in control. They had lost sight of God altogether. They had lost sight of God's will. They were no longer acting as servants, but as his enemies. You see that? Their fathers before them opposed the prophets. They opposed the last prophet, John the Baptist, and his message. And they also rejected God's son when he sent him. And in a few days, they would have him taken out of the city and put to death. Jesus lets them know that their behavior is nothing new. They didn't take a turn. This is not a recent development. Their their fathers before them had mocked and beaten and killed God's servants as well. And because they refused to learn the lessons of their history, because of their stone-cold, calloused hearts, they acted in the same way. While they claimed to be champions for truth, they were enemies to the truth. Jesus tells them they were the same as their fathers before them who rejected the ones God favored. While they claimed to love the prophets, they memorialized the prophets. They built these elaborate monuments in honor of the prophets. Jesus says in John 11 that they're guilty of siding with their fathers before them who rejected and killed the prophets. They were like Abel's brother Cain, Jesus says. Y'all know that story. Right after the fall that Miles reminded us of. They were like Abel, Abel's brother Cain who rejected and killed God's man, his own brother. Jesus says in Luke 11 verse 50 and 51, we have that passage on the, on the screen here. Check this out. The blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it'll be required of this generation. Jesus says here, you would have sided with your fathers who rejected God's prophets. You're like them. You're on the wrong side of truth, just like they were. Jesus lets them know they're going to follow in their father's footsteps in the footsteps of these wicked tenant farmers by killing another one whom God has sent but this time it's much more serious because it's going to be God's son God's son they're like the tenant farmers in this story they have forgotten that they were called to be God's servants We're called to be subservient to his son. They've lost sight of that. And as a result, they have set themselves against God and against his son. Now, believers, what's what's the lesson for us today from this? Well, can we lose sight in ministry of who we are? Can we? And what we're called to do? and who has called us to do it? Can we lose sight of the fact that we are God's servants who are to be under the authority of His Word and that Christ is the one who's the head of the church? Say yes. Do this. Yeah. Of course, you better believe it. There are a lot of churches today busy doing a lot of things, but too few spending a whole lot of time doing what God has called for them to do, functioning in a way that God has called for them to function in His Word. There's a whole lot of this is what I think going on in business meetings today and very little of this is what God's Word says. There are many in Christ's church today standing in the place of the chief priest and the scribes and the elders in this story. It's true. May that not be said of us. May we not lose sight of the fact that we are God's servants who are to be standing under the authority of God's word. May we not lose sight of the fact that this church is Christ's church. He is our head. We are his servants. Point number two. We've looked at their opposition of God's son. Now let's look at their judgment from God's word. Christ has gone out of his way to highlight the great patience and mercy and grace and love of God he gives a word of judgment here look at verses 15 through 17 Christ asked what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others when they heard this they said surely not but he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? He's, when he says, What then is this that is written? He's about to go Old Testament. He's about to quote the Old Testament. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus shifts gears a bit. He moves from parable to prophecy from the description of a vineyard to the description of a building he reminds the the religious leaders in his audience of the consequences of rejecting God's appointed men and God's son and he does it by taking them to the Old Testament he takes them to Psalm 118 now I want you to get this this is interesting that Jesus goes to Psalm 118 Remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem? Do you remember what the people were coming out and saying to him? Luke 19, 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know where that's taken from? Take a wild guess. Psalm 118. Very good. Yes. That's right. And here he goes back to Psalm 118. It's almost like Christ is saying here, do you not know what the rest of that psalm says about me? Yes, I'm going to come in the name of the Lord. I'm going to come and I'm going to usher in God's kingdom and you, leaders of Israel, who are supposed to be God's servants, His builders, you are going to reject me which is exactly what they do. And it is a colossal mistake for them. But as you know, through that rejection, through Christ's suffering and death and resurrection, God makes a way through their wickedness for many to be ransomed and to enter into his kingdom. So Jesus finally provides here an answer to to Luke chapter 20, verse 2. They're like, tell us by what authority do you do the things that you do, Jesus? Who are you? Where did you come from? Who gave you the authority you have to do these things? Here's the answer. I'm the cornerstone. The Messiah. The one whom God sent. The one who has come to accomplish salvation. The one who has come to provide a way for sinful man to be restored to holy God. I have come to accomplish salvation so that those who look to me and believe on me and me alone will be forgiven of sin and made right with God. I am the cornerstone of the kingdom who has left the kingdom in glory and has come to earth to bring those here who believe on me there to him. This is great news for us, isn't it? For all of us looking to and trusting in Christ alone for salvation, the best news imaginable. But notice it's bad news for those who reject him. Verses 15 through 17 again. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is that, this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we learn from this parable that while God is merciful for a time, just like the owner was merciful for a time, that time will come to an end. I heard someone say recently, when explaining Psalm 136 that while God's mercy endures forever, it does not endure for everyone forever. It's true. Borrowed time is not permanent. God's patience will come to an end. Jesus Jesus told them earlier in Luke, That fruitless trees will eventually be cut down in time. And there is only one of two ways this life is going to end for us. Either we die or Christ returns. Both of those, by the way, those events are followed by judgment. Those who have forsaken their sin, those who have turned from their sin, those who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation who have been raised spiritually to new life in this life will be gathered together with God through Christ, raised up, made new to everlasting life with him in his favorable presence with his people forever, while those set against Christ in sin will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly punished forever. Look at verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone, the cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. There's an old rabbinic saying that says, If a pot falls on a rock, woe to the pot. And if a rock falls on the pot, woe to the pot. Either way, woe to the pot, right? There are some in our world today who are openly and adamantly opposed to Jesus, like those in the story here, like the religious leaders. Jesus makes it clear they're going to be broken. There are others indifferent toward Jesus who would say they're not necessarily outwardly and openly opposed to him. They're not trusting in him, though. They, too, will be crushed. Whether the pot falls on the rock or the rock falls on the pot, woe to God. pot we all have one of two choices to make when it comes to the person and work of Jesus Christ we make Christ Lord enter into his kingdom through faith and trust in Christ alone or be crushed by him the cornerstone of the kingdom God makes it very clear that the one he sent to save he is sending again to condemn to judge Christ brought salvation. He is returning to bring judgment. What will your response be to him today? The religious leaders rejected him. That's the last point I want to close with today. We looked at the religious leaders' opposition of God's Son, their judgment from God's Word. Lastly, their rejection of God's message. They rejected his message. Sad, sad. Just continue. And their hard heartedness in rejection of Christ. Look at verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people, they didn't fear the cornerstone, they feared what the people would do. They understand the message, don't they? They knew he had told this about them. The allegorical language, it was not lost on them. But Luke says they were still seeking to arrest him and would have done so had they not have been afraid of what the people might do in response. That was their response. What is yours going to be? Will you forsake your way and place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, I pray you would today and be saved. Let's pray together.